This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Gentlemen, how are we doing today before we get into some football talk? Doing good. Um... You know, I'm actually excited because I get to have a wild Brady appearance up here in Chicago this week. So that'll be fun. Maybe unsurprisingly, it, like the last time, it involves more major league ballparks and traveling to different cities. I, I guess that's just kind of our niche other than Georgia State. Full of niches. Just a life full of niches for uh, for me. That's how it's got to be sometimes. And you you've been to progressive field, right? We're going to Cleveland for those not baseball literate, by the yeah. way. Maybe won't judge you if you didn't know progressive field was Cleveland. Maybe judge you a little if you did know that progressive field was Cleveland uh, without. Um, but uh, yes, I have been. It was a while ago, so it basically doesn't count. I don't have a ton of memories. I just remember me and my dad were there and there was an old guy yelling at the owner most of the time and wait yeah that's no, the like, plot of major league that's not you can't be telling a personal story that's just you're just telling the plot of major league i'm telling no no, no. i'm telling you this this is this happened it wasn't uh you know i mean maybe he was trying to be bad and sell the team like in a movie but this was an old guy who really didn't like dolan i don't remember his name it also is funny that there are multiple sports owners named Dolan who are not particularly well liked by their fan bases with uh, the New York Knicks owner as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost going to be like a new experience um, just because I don't have a ton of recollection of it. I remember sitting up top and that's really it. I've been to Cleveland a few times, uh, but I've never really gotten to see it because I've been busy with stuff when I've been up there. So I'm excited for being kind of a tourist in the city for the first time. I've never I've never been to Cleveland. Um, and this is only the second AL park that I've ever been to, which is so sad. I think this, this is what this makes six for me. And I got three of them this year. So, you know, slowly working through that list. What about you, Jordan? How are you doing? Uh, things have been going pretty well, pretty well. We're getting back in the swing of things. Uh, maybe purchasing some exciting new camera equipment for the one and a half of you out there who care about anything relating to camera equipment. But uh, yeah, we, uh, we're going to be trying out some new stuff, hopefully get some even better pictures this fall on thursdaynight.com. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but I think that's that... a challenge for people to get in touch and make Jordan talk about specifically the camera equipment he's getting just so he can nerd out about cameras and we can get that going. There's probably at least one person so who listens to the podcast. That's going to do that. But, uh, I digress. So let's go ahead and move on into some actual sports discussion. Uh, we're going to be finishing our positional previews on the defensive side of the ball and looking into Georgia State's October schedule as well. So let's dive right in with our position previews. Uh, this past week, we published cornerbacks and special teams. So, uh, gentlemen, what are your thoughts about the cornerback room? So this is what I spent most of the crux of the article talking about. So I, I, I it feels weird to just do that again with this but the two starting safeties are kind of like it's Quavian White and Jalen Jones that kind of run that room have the experience that are going to probably be beating the majority of the snaps out wide provided they stay healthy and yeah I'm just really interested to see what another year does with those two 
because I thought that they both took a pretty noticeable step. I don't know if that was new cornerbacks coach coming in, coach people's having some good mentorship, good ideas to share with them. But I thought that especially as the year got on, they started to get more and more comfortable and they were making a lot of plays. And, you know, I, I think that there's a chance for maybe a little bit more dynamism to come. I think whether that's Quay White getting some more interceptions that turn into big plays or, you know, any of them, anyone in the room, I think that there's some good ball skills there. Um, I think if there's one thing you could look at, it's that maybe just a little bit more where, you know, the linebacker core got the fumble recovery and Tavius Lane got a pick six. Just I feel like maybe they got let's little throat a little bit for the cornerbacks to be the ones to jump around, get a pick six and get themselves some points on the board. If we're looking for just general things to look for from the that room. Yeah, 2020 was kind of weird for the cornerbacks because they, you know, if you look at the stat sheet, they did a lot of good things. Um, but I think when the defense wasn't going well in the passing game specifically, it was a, it was easy to put it kind of on the cornerbacks. Um, and, you know, that's that's a little unfair because obviously those two guys aren't the only guys out there. Um, you know, there's passing as a concept is a little bit all or nothing, especially in college football. Um, you know, it's not like the NFL where you just have a guy who's able to either take away a side of the field or, you know, you have two guys that are just that work really well together and can, can cover a specific amount of ground and play off of each other. It really is kind of condensed. Um, sorry, it's not condensed. It's spread out in college. And I think, you know, I, I, I think back to like that Arkansas state game. And I think back to the app state game as well, especially in the second half when some of the cornerbacks were getting a little bit exposed, you know, we, the last couple of years, we've talked about like the scheme, especially as it relates to where the cornerbacks are setting up on third down. And as the year went on, you know, I actually noticed that the cornerbacks started to play up on third down instead of being in such off coverage, um, which was great. You know, like that's one thing that we have been, you know, clamoring for. Um, but I also noticed that when the cornerbacks weren't, you know, being the ball hawks that they were, it was a little bit easier for them to get exposed. And, you know, you could kind of ask like the chicken and egg question as well. You know, are they having them play off because, you know, you're going to have really good receivers just run past them. Are you having them, you know, press up when they know that they have the skills to match up with them? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I can be honest with you there, but I also think that there was a lot to like from them in the 2020 season. You know, you mentioned the quad, white year and you know his interceptions Jalen Jones you know he had a good year in terms of pass breakups and so you had a lot of opportunities for guys to show their ball skills and I think the one thing that I'm looking for specifically out of this room is to you know improve on your coverage skills because sometimes it's not even that you need to be putting your hands on the ball it's just that you need to force the quarterback to make a throw that he can't make you know sometimes you can force a quarterback to overthrow a guy just because you put yourself in between him and the guy that he wants to throw to. And that, I think, will take the cornerback room from where they were last year, which was an, an okay unit to an elite unit that I think that they can be. Yeah, and to speak just about the other guys, um, you know, I think that we don't really know who necessarily is going to be the key, whether it's the nickel 
corner or whether it's just the guy who gets some key spells on the outside, whatever it might be. But I think there's options there. It's not a, as deep of a room as maybe some of the other positions on the defensive side, uh, just on sheer numbers. There's aren't as many of them, but the you know, Brightquist Brown had some real plays that made you go, that guy's doing that. And he's still a freshman. And then Cam Sims had a big interception in the Troy game. Uh, and then Courtney Williams, I don't really know. I don't think any, either of us really know what we're going to expect. I don't know if that's just uh, see, trying something out, see if a guy who hasn't played as much as safety can get more reps at this position or whether it's they actually see something they think is there. But certainly it's an interesting option where you can have a guy who's 6'2", which is basically you know NFL corner size, go to the position. And so if they think that he's got the chance to play there, I'm intrigued at what that could be. Yeah, that, I mean, that's your prototypical NFL or, you know, higher power five type cornerback. So if that's the size that you've got, then you've you know, you're probably going to be showing a coach something. And the other thing I wanted to mention, you were talking about some of the off coverage and all. And what I did want to say is that, you know, Quavian White, even for a guy his size, I think has shown times where he's been able to come off of some of those off coverages and come up and meet a guy where he catches it, not really get him any, let him get any yak uh, yards after catch. And I think that that was an important thing that was improved. There's been other years where, you know, when, when you miss that tackle as a corner, you're usually at least on enough an Island where the guy's going to get the first down and maybe more than that. And so I think Georgia state's going to, you know, anyone's going to play zones ever just because that's the nature of you can't play man on the corners all game. It's just going to ask your guys to have, you know, too many laps just because you're getting, having to cover the field like that. But, you know, especially Georgia state, you know, we do know that coach Fuqua likes having zone and there's plays where smart quarterbacks are going to see if a guy's off coverage, they're going to be able to have a, you know, whatever, a curl, whatever to a guy to get it quick to him. If he sees a guy isn't covered, and so that's going to happen. Those opportunities are going to be there. But if you've got the cornerbacks crashing down and meeting the guy where he catches it, not letting him make a big play out of it, it it's better than, you know, a 15, 20 yard gain. It, it's not as good as an incomplete pass, but given that you're going to have times like that, because there's not going to be any, you can't play press man the entire game. If they can continue to do that and prevent some big plays happening where it's just one guy misses a tackle and the defense is actually pretty set up for stopping that play, I think that'd be an important thing because a lot of the coverage for cornerbacks, you know, no pun intended, is about the stuff that happens 30, 40 yards down the field in coverage. But plays, you know, screen screen passes are a huge part of college football now. Just plays like that where it's just a quick pass out especially with the playmakers that can be out on the perimeter, those can be just as dangerous as the plays where you send someone on a go route. And so I think that's also an important part that maybe isn't nearly as uh, you know sexy to talk about. Absolutely. And, you know, that was one thing that Georgia, you mentioned the, you know, the, the third down sort of not the efficiency, but you mentioned just that play style. That was one thing that Georgia state did really well last year. They had a much better third down rate than they've had in the last couple of years. And part of it is because those corners were so good at keeping guys in front of them and, you know, finding a way to have sound tackling. And even if they themselves didn't get the tackle, there was a lot of instances where they would disrupt a guy's running to the point where a linebacker could come, you know, just turn around and grab the tackle. So 
the cornerback is not going to get the tackle or he got an assisted tackle, but you know, he, a Quay white was the one who was making the play and keeping it where it was instead of it being a big gain. So all of that is important. And you know, those fundamentals really help go a long way of transitioning a defense from a, you know, that's the difference maker between a good defense and a great one. And just to say this as well, I mean, this is kind of a general point about the defense and the front seven really, uh, but given this is the last defensive position preview, I guess, you know, it makes sense to kind of wrap it up. But it's always a, a bit of synergy and playing togetherness. And I think it was both that the secondary was playing better as the season went on and that the pass rush was better. And so as far as the corners are concerned, I think that they will, you know, look even better, you know, the defensive line and linebackers can make them look even better with their getting a pass rush because when Georgia State's been getting picked on and, you know, we can talk about the Arkansas State game, which just feels like an anomaly and, you know, the defensive coordinator wasn't there. And so it still feels weird that that is the one that we talk about a lot when it comes to the defense. It's not necessarily just trying to pick it out, but it was the game where just the most raw, bad stats happened. When the defense wasn't getting in the backfield and actually getting the quarterback down that game quarterback had a lot of time and you know good quarterbacks with good weapons are going to take advantage of having five seconds in the pocket and so I think that if we see some kind of season like we were talking about in the defensive line preview where we think that there's going to be a lot of production whether it's sacks or just pressures from the front that's going to make the whole defense better and it's going to make the cornerbacks better because it's really hard to defend division one FBS wide receivers and tight ends for more than five seconds downfield. I mean, they're good. And it's sort of a situation where, I mean, football is slanted towards the offense, at least ever so slightly. And they have slightly the advantage and playing defense is hard enough when you're able to at least get the quarterback a little bit off stride. They can still make a play, but if you're not getting there, it's going to make everyone's job harder. And so I think, just to wrap up my thoughts on the defense, um, I think it's going to start with the pass rush again. I think if we don't necessarily see the pass rush like what we saw last year, it's going to be tougher sledding. And I say that because the other part of the game, I just feels like Georgia State's got a solid run defense base. And so I feel like that's just kind of a get like it's not a given. They've still got to go out and do it right. But like if we're sitting here six games in the year, we're talking about Georgia state's giving up 230 rushing yards. Then I don't think it was predictable. And it's going to be one of those things where like, of course things are going poorly because that's not a way to have success and win some games. And so I, I just think that the, the emphasis for me is going to be on what they're doing to get the quarterback, whether it's actually getting him down, whether it's getting forcing a fumble, whether it's just pressuring him and making him throw off stride and making a, a bad throw over throwing his receiver. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, you know, I don't want to say that it, it's all on the pass rush. I think there was a lot of good that we saw out of the, you know, the linebackers who weren't rushing last year, as well as the secondary. And, you know, it's a good group. It absolutely is a good group. I feel like this is the safest. Was that the word I want to use? Yeah, that's the word I want to use. I feel like this is the safest, you know, assortment of defenders 
that Georgia State has had going into a year, just in terms of like, I feel like I know kind of where their floor is going to be. You know, there's a lot of good depth on the O line that if there were some injuries, obviously, you know, you're going to lose if, if, let's say, Hardrick goes down, you know, knock on wood. You're still probably going to have some decent sack numbers out of the guys who would likely replace him, you know, um, you know, and, and you never want to see an injury anywhere, but I feel like there is enough, and, you know, here's that depth word again. Uh, there is enough depth here on this defensive unit to where I think the floor for this defense is probably an average defense. I think at absolute worst, you know, you're going to have probably either a repeat of last year um, in terms of the total numbers, which, you know, weren't the sexiest. Um, or you're going to just like, maybe they flip it. And this year they're a little bit worse at the pass, but better at, you know, defending the run, you know, something like that. Um, But I also think, you know, to say that, I also think that there is a potential there for this to be a really good defense. You know, let's say everybody is healthy all year and, you know, plays the way that they could be and, you know, takes that baby step forward or takes a, you know, a gigantic step forward. Like this absolutely could be one of the better defenses in the conference. It wouldn't surprise me at all. All right. So and also earlier this week, we published a preview on special teams, which has a couple of starters returning as well as some new people coming in. Gentlemen, what do we think about special teams? I feel like, as always, the age old thing with special teams. And I think this specifically is something you say about long snappers is if if you don't talk about them, they're doing a good job. And, you know, we didn't really talk about Noel Rees a lot other than to say, oh, hey, he made good field goals and was a reliable guy. And, you know, Coach Elliott himself jokes all the time that he doesn't like kicking field goals. Oh, it's, he's not really joking. He doesn't like kicking field goals. He wants touchdowns. Uh, but that he liked that he knew he had the guy on the sideline that if it was fourth down in manageable distance, he'd say, all right, he could say, go kick it. And chances were it was going to be pretty good. Um, yeah, for me, I, I think that it's pretty safe to say Noel Ruiz is one of the best kickers in the conference, and we'll see if he is the best by the end of the year, I, I wouldn't be surprised me at all. Um, wouldn't surprise me if this is a year he can show off to some guys and say, Hey, NFL teams, let me get into camp. Let me show you what I can do, which would, yeah. Kicker. You got it going. I guess there's, yeah, there's I guess, a little bit, a little bit in city, a lot of insane rivalry. Actually, there's a kicker from all four major Georgia schools currently kicking for an NFL team. And two for a school we won't mention, but they do have two of them. But ever, you know, Georgia has one in the league, Georgia Tech, Georgia State. You know, a a fourth school that has two. Uh, And we won't say any more than that. Um, And then the other side, I think that there's definitely room for improvement from Michael Hayes, assuming he is staying as the incumbent punter. But stuff that you could see was easy to build on. I thought in general, Coverage was pretty good. Didn't really let anyone, especially on the punt side, take advantage of too badly and didn't really get exposed on many kick returns either. And so I still, my thing is always about really good teams can turn special teams into a positive or like a real positive. And we haven't really seen that with Georgia state yet, but it's progressively been growing to in past years in, you know, years way past it was an active negative some games and it was really bad in deciding the game in bad ways. And it hasn't been that recently. I would say as late as 2019, there were times where it was still an active negative. 
Um, you know, we were kind of focusing on the kicking side of special teams. Um, Coach Elliott still does not like his return men to run at all, which, you know what, if that is a school philosophy, I'm all for it as long as you catch the football. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know, I agree with what you said about Ruiz and Hayes. Um, Hayes does a good job of getting the ball out and off of his foot. You know, there I think there was a couple of punts last year that were like, man, I wish you had kicked that like 10, 15 more yards. But, you know, by the whole and, you know, his season average was good. You know, it's it's not like he's out here kicking like 30 yard punts or anything like that. I mean, his average was in the 40s. So that's that's good. Um, and, it, you know, that's a weapon. And I, I think. I just want to echo your sentiments about it no longer being an active negative because that is the biggest thing because it was so bad for so long. The fact that it's now neutral on either side is such a win for Georgia state. You know, they're no longer losing games simply because they had a 50 yard punt and then the gunners just missed so many tackles and the guy gets like a 40 yard return, you know, and that like those things are often overlooked. But keeping your defense out of the red zone on the first two plays of a drive is so important for their confidence. And it completely changes what you're allowed to do. You know, sometimes if you're closer to the red zone, you have to be a little bit more careful. But, you know, when you've got so much field behind you, you could just have your defensive linemen, you know, pull their ears back, as they say, and just let them fly and go after a quarterback. So especially if Hayes continues to punts like he is, that's a huge win for Georgia State. You know, and Ruiz, I feel like he kind of went under the radar last year, um, but he just had just a solid year. You know, he missed, what, three three field goals all year? And I want to say they were the one couple, or two was, of them were couple, from 50. Yeah, like it, he was missing like long field goals. He missed, a, um, I think, 48 or 47 yarder against Coastal at the beginning of the game, which could have been not getting shut out. <laughs> yes. Who knows who knows what happens if that <laughs> kick goes in. Maybe it's one of those butterfly effect things. Yes, I was, I do remember that. Um uh, and then he had didn't he have one that was blocked and it was like a bad read on the left side? I want to say I can't remember who what game it was. Um but I want to say it was like it wasn't like his fault why he missed the kick. Oh, okay. I, I cannot recollect. <laughs> that's that's fine. Uh, but, you know, a, a solid year, a solid year, nonetheless. So as long as, you know, he keeps that production up, you, like you said, he could probably be the best kicker in the conference again. So. And I think you're right that it probably isn't the year to bet on there being a kick return for a touchdown from Georgia State. But like, look, here's the thing. Like the strategy is you get it on the 25 every time. That's good field position to start with. And, you know, in defense of Coach Elliott, there were times in the last couple of years where guys have taken the green light themselves and not gotten out past the 20 and especially not near the 25. And if you're him, you're like, look, this is exactly why I wanted you to fair catch it, because, you know, it wasn't there. And now you're starting worse field position. So I don't know if like I was running a program if it's necessarily what I would think, because I think especially with you know speed weapons you've got. You know, I think there's a whole branch of talent that maybe isn't getting maximized with that because you're not necessarily looking for kick returners. You've got guys out there you trust to catch it. And I I think that there's a chance for guys to show off and, you know, add another layer to the game if they're able to be weapons in the kick return. But I understand the reasons and it's not like I haven't seen in real time 
why it exists because there's been some bad decisions that are made, you know, kick returns. One of those things where it's anything with special teams, where if a guy gets his hands on the ball and he's going to take it somewhere, it's the scariest thing because that's feel, I feel like that's when guys are the most free to be like, all right, it's my time to shine. Especially if it's a guy who isn't necessarily used to touting the ball nearly as much. And so I, I understand the philosophy and I just think punt returns in general, like they're down. Georgia state hasn't really done anything with punt returns the last couple of years, but I also just think that's how punts have gone. Teams aren't really letting teams get returns. You're seeing a lot more rugby style punts. You're seeing the emphasis on not allowing many return yards and you know, the what science or whatever you want to call it behind it is kind of working towards making that easier. And so I think it's a you know more of a chance that Georgia State gets a punt return touchdown than a kick return touchdown. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be where the plus comes from, but it doesn't have to. I, I'd say that where I'd say the plus can come from is from on the coverage side, forcing a turnover, you know, even just continuing to get down, you know, have the gunners get down and down punts, maybe save some of those, I think nine touchbacks Hayes had and turn a couple of those into getting down on the one or the two or whatever, like stuff like that adds up in the season. All right. So we're going to be switching to offense from the next pod on. And of course you can expect those accompanying pieces on the website as well. So let's go ahead and move on into October schedule, gut feelings and a little bit of predictions, not not nothing official, but uh, just as a reminder, the first game in October is October 2nd versus App State next week, October 9th at Louisiana Monroe. And then we have a week off and then the homecoming game, 1013 or 1013. Jesus homecoming game, 1023 versus Texas State. And then the next week, 1030 at Georgia Southern. So, uh, gentlemen, thoughts. I do this every year. And this year is no exception. Georgia State has got to beat App State. It has to happen. The recipe is there for them to win this year. I'm not necessarily calling them to win this year because App State, again, is a good program. And, you know, they they've just got that Sunbelt East mojo every year. You know, they were kind of down last year, but last year was a weird year anyways. Um, But I mean, again, Georgia State played them really, really well last year. And I like this game is in Atlanta. That game, last year's game was in Boone, North Carolina. You know, you don't have to travel this year. You know, you might be coming off of a weird Auburn game. I just I really, really think that if there's going to be a year for Georgia State to finally end this losing streak in the series, this would be the one. So I'm, I'm going to say I know I just said I wasn't going to say it, but I'm Screw it. I'll say well, Georgia no, State beats We're putting wins on the record. You gotta. <laughs> you gotta say what you gotta say. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree just that it lines up to where, you know, I, App State is replacing their quarterback, uh, which they've done a really good job at in the last decade. Part of why they've continued to sustain success is that they've done a good job with that. And they've got Chase Bryce in. He's a transfer been at a couple of schools. I believe his last school was Duke. And I think catching them earlier in the year before they can necessarily get ahead of steam, because I feel like they're a team that once they get going at the later of the year, they play better. And uh, you're catching them at the beginning of October. It's the first game of conference play. It's a home game, like you say. And I think you can play the 
if this game got played at the other stadium, this re- result is reversed game all you want. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I do wonder what the game last year looks like if it's at center park stadium instead of up in Boone. Um, and you know, the elephant in the room, Georgia state has not beaten app state in football since they've started playing earlier this, uh, in this past decade. And it's just a weird thing at this point. Like the first couple of years, Georgia State was clearly not as good of a team as Appalachian State, and that bared out in the results, and it wasn't a situation. It's like, how is this team winning all the games? Like, it was clear. Georgia State was not as good. App State was better. App State deserved to win those games, some of them handily, as they did so. But you got a thing now where, you know, Georgia State is better. I'd still think that on pedigree and just on results and sustained success, you'd still, of course, give the upper hand to App. They have did a lot at the FCS level, and they've come up and made the transition as good, if not better than basically anyone else who's made that transition. They've really done a hell of a job with that program. They've gone through a couple head coaches now. And again, they're still putting out winning seasons. And so a lot to be commended. It's not rocket science why they've been doing well, but it's also a thing where just the law of averages, the way it bears out, you know, as the more you play as the both programs are at least on comparable levels, like it isn't going to be a thing that app wins every year. I mean, you can roll out the stats, like how Michigan basically hasn't, I what well, Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio state since George W. Bush was president. I think it might've even been Bill Clinton. No, I don't remember when it happened. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. It was like 2012. Okay. Okay. I wasn't in that much of a fever dream. Um, George Bush was not so president then. Fair enough. But you can say the stats of, you know, there are a lot of these type of things that just happen. And it just happens to be for Georgia State that this isn't happening in the, you know, 80th to 90th meeting between the teams. It's the first 10 times they're playing. So it looks really bad. But I I feel like we're going to look back in 30, 40 years and, you know, App State might still have the advantage, but I feel like it's not necessarily going to be as glaring as the blank and O. Like that's just or the blank and you know the o and blank however you want to phrase it um so i agree i think it sort of has to be the year again and george state's uh, forgetting all the app state stuff it's the start of sunbelt play if it's the team georgia state wants to be the success they want to have they need to win their sunbelt home opener so i've got his win as well and you know just kind of sticking to that point We'll obviously talk about it when we kind of get through the season and go through other schools. I mean, you have to bank those home Sunbelt games this year. The road schedule was pretty tough, you know, going to Southern, going to Louisiana and going to Coastal all in back to back to back weeks, you know, and there are a lot of people down on Georgia State this year just because the schedule is pretty tough, even though this is probably a better team on paper than last year, which was still a good team, you know, but if if there's ever going to be a year where you want to actually put the pedal to the metal and compete for that division title and subsequent conference championship, like you're going to have to beat app, you know, you can probably excuse a loss somewhere else down the line if you pick it up somewhere, but you know, this is one that you can't drop if you have aspirations to, you know, go on and win the Sun Belt. So and uh, without it all just being an awkward segue about, you know, needing to beat, um, we move on to the next game uh, at Louisa Monroe uh, the next week. And, you know, joke aside about segue, my point's kind of the same. 
Lewell Monroe is in a weird limbo place with they got Terry Bowden as their head coach and he's currently away from the team because he was, you know, looking after his father, Bobby Bowden, who died. So I don't know what's going to happen in that situation. You know, he's, you know, entitled to and should take as much bereavement as he needs. And so I, you know, I don't know how much that situation is going to be affecting them as a team, but even factoring out that stuff, Louisiana Monroe has been exceedingly more and more of just kind of a mess. And it culminated in last year, which I think it, it was just a bad football team. Uh, I don't think they had that many players, like they were losing scholarship players. Um, so it was a bad team who was having to have play a lot of snaps with who was left. And so it was all building up and it's a tough situation there. It's kind of hard to build a winning program in Monroe. Um, and so it sort of is what it is. And it's a road game. You've lost there more times than you've won there, uh, I believe, without checking the records. So it's not like you can just say, oh, it's Monroe. You need to win. But especially if you're coming off an app win in this hypothetical situation, you feel like you're going to have the talent to beat this ULM team who I think is still going to be figuring themselves out by this time in mid-October. Wasn't ULM the school that Dan tore his ACL against? Was. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I was trying to think of the history, but like the recent history. I feel like Georgia State has handled them decently well the past couple of years. And I I remember that game being like close-ish, but it got out of hand once Dan went down for obvious reasons. It never really got Um, out of hand. It never really did. It it stayed close. I think it finished either... I think it finished 45-31, and it was, you know, tied at 31, and then ULM kind of, you know, Georgia State ran out of gas a little bit at the end, weren't really doing a lot on offense, you know. It was the uh, the first real action that Quad Brown got, and uh, it was in a daunting situation for anyone to get thrown into, and so you can't fault them for that, but yeah, there was that game. Uh, they were the team that beat Georgia State in Trent Miles' last game as head coach uh, back in 2016. Uh, Georgia State, yeah, has won three of the last four against ULM. And I think that's for good reason. I think that's good that they did that because ULM has been in a rough stretch during those years. Um, and so it was kind of games that you needed to put in the, like, we need to win this. And like I say, that's kind of where I'm at with this game. It's The game has to happen. You can't be complacent about it. And I you know doubt that that's going to happen, but it's going to be one where you're just going to have to, you've got to circle that one as a win heading into that week. You know, like it's got to be one that you can count on as a win for this, the season you want to have. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing is bankable, but you definitely, you know, Georgia state is starting conference play. Oh, and two, or if they beat app and somehow don't beat ULM, you know, you're probably in some trouble there. And then the third game this month is Texas state. And, they're just an incredibly difficult team to handicap because no one, and I think this includes Texas state really knows what they're going to have until they play some games. Because if you aren't aware, they've basically gone with the strategy of bringing in an entire team of transfers. I don't know the exact number, but they've brought in a lot of whether it be grad transfers or just transfers from power conference schools. And I think the idea being that they can have these guys come in right now and compete and then by the time these guys aren't able to play anymore, you can continue to recruit 
at the high school ranks and build up behind them the depth. But I think coaches love talking about stuff like chemistry and cohesion, and sometimes it gets overly cliched, but I don't know. Like my first impression when I thought of the strategy, it just feels like a weird mishmash to just kind of throw some guys together in an off season and see what happens. It doesn't necessarily, it's certainly not what you've got going with coach Elliott, who's obviously desired building up the roster together and having these guys come up as freshmen. And now you've got this whole host of seniors and super seniors and juniors who have played a lot together. Yeah. That strategy is kind of interesting in basketball, but at least it, you know, it's very sink or swim quickly in football. It's definitely an even more interesting strategy. If I can find the words to even describe it, (laughs) but it's still a game that Georgia State should win. It's, you know, you're back at home. I would say if you're going to put the trap game label on a game, you know, if, if Georgia State is coming off a win at App, against App State and then a win on the road, and if they start conference play 2-0, and you know, you could sit there and use that word to describe this. But, you know, I Coach Elliott doesn't even really believe in that. And he, you know, he always has the right attitude about each game and kind of taking it one week at a time. So I'm not too worried about players being, you know, looking ahead at anything that comes after that. So I, I will say this is that this is the team I will put down the prediction that when we actually do a full preview game week there's the most chance for variety in how this turns. Like it could be if everything hits like a home run, like coach Bav once there that we're talking about what a six and O Texas state team or like a four and one, like that it's working and it, people don't really know why, but it is working. Or we could be talking about a team that's well below 500 and it's like, this is going about as we expected. So we're doing these just kind of a gut feeling things. This is a one where I feel like the gut feelings could, we could be right or we could be very wrong. And I don't think there's anyone else on the schedule that necessarily has that level of variety and that possibility of outcome. Yeah. You know that you make a good point there. And I, I want to say one more thing because that's the first game. That's the seventh game of the season for Georgia state. So, you know, if you're I believe if you look at the whole schedule, you and I both have them dropping the North Carolina and Auburn game. Fair to say. So going into Texas State, you're a four and two football game with a two and oh conference slate. You know, you split up your entire season with obviously the rest of your conference schedule left to go. Going into Texas State, you know, if you come out of that three and oh and what, five and two on the season, I mean, you know, you're I don't Georgia State at that point wouldn't be ranked. I'm not going to say that they would be ranked. You know, sorry, it is highly unlikely Georgia State would be ranked. I'm not going to say it can't happen, but it's unlikely that it would happen. But going into the Georgia Southern game on October 30th, five and two. You know, you feel really good about that, especially if you're three and zero in conference play. And, you know, obviously there's plenty of football left and that's when the schedule gets hard and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But that is absolutely the position you want Georgia State to be in, you know, at the end of October, heading into November. Yeah, it's sort of a hinge game the way you laid out, because not only does that feel good. If you're four and three at that point or even three and four and you drop like, say, the app game, the app game or. And you drop one of those two, whether it's ULM or Texas State, you're going to really sit there and feel like you've missed an opportunity to really make something happen in that moment. Because, you know, as we can move on to the final game of the month, 
we both have it at five and two, like you say. That's a situation where you're walking in. You could win bowl eligibility against your rival at the end of October. And, you know, Georgia State got bowl eligibility at the end of October in the 2019 season. And uh, it didn't happen until the final game last year. And so it's another thing where you're racking up those wins. And the more seasons you can say you're getting bowl eligible in October. Hallmark of a program that's going somewhere because it didn't necessarily happen because of the Dan Ellington injury in 2019. But stands the reason if you're got six wins by October, you know, you can stack up a lot more by the time you're actually done with the regular season. So I think set for me, second place in the, we don't really know what this team is, is Georgia Southern, because as we talk right now, uh, they will not have their starting quarterback for the first two games of the season, Justin Tomlin. And even going into the year with Tomlin as a quarterback, I think collectively we've thought, we weren't really sure what they were going to do at quarterback with shy words gone to Louisville. And uh, that is even more exacerbated. If they're going with the backup for a couple games and, you know, maybe he plays well and takes the job and, you know, we don't really know how that's going to play out. So that's kind of why I have it labeled there, but it's a situation where I just think that Georgia state's in a better place right now than Georgia Southern is. And, you know, that's a soundbite that's probably going to get taken if we get popular enough. And, you know, if, if it's, it's in the wrong places and the wrong dimensions of the internet. But I think Georgia state right now is in a better place and should feel in a better place. And if you're at a place there with your five and two chance to make a bowl game at, do it in Statesboro place where you've been pretty successful at times. Uh, I think it's the time we've got to do it. And so I'm doing it. I'm, I'm calling the famous last words of four and October bowl eligible by the end of it, six and two win over Georgia Southern. And but like I say, we we can see. Uh, I think that Georgia Southern's facing a test. They've got some guys they got to replace, not least their quarterback, and they've got new offensive brain trust in charge for the full season after uh, making a move near the end of last season, moving on from their offensive coordinator. And I guess we'll see what comes of that. But I, it's a team you beat last year, and I think that if the arrows moved anywhere for the two teams since that game, Georgia State's has moved up and Georgia Southern's has moved down. And so you were better then be better again. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I kind of peeked over at Georgia Southern schedule um, by the time they play Georgia State, that that will be their fifth conference game. Um, and, you know, just like going through, you know, the situation, like going through each and every one of the teams that they would play, they can probably be looking at a two and two conference slate heading into the Georgia state game. Not bad by any, not bad by any means, but you know, if if, let's say we are Nostradamus and you know, Georgia state is three and O in conference play heading into the Georgia Southern game. Georgia Southern is looking up and they really need that. They're desperate for that win against the Panthers. You know, that's their rival. It's not on rivalry week, but it's still their rival. It's still, you know, an important game. But if Georgia State has been has proven to be a better team, you're going to want Georgia State to go into Statesboro and just be like, OK, you know, you're a middling Sunbelt team and we're just going to take care of business, you know, and especially given their games at Louisiana and at Coastal to start November. If Georgia State can get that win against Georgia Southern, obviously they would be four and in the conference, which feels kind of weird to predict for us. But. Yeah, like I like Georgia State in all of these games. I'm not going to say that it's impossible for Georgia State to do this. So 
I agree with you. I think Georgia State can go to Statesboro, and you know, they, I think they're in a better place as a program, and you know, I think they'll definitely get a win this year. All right, so we're going to see what happens in October, but now let's go into sports bits with a little bit of information around Georgia State athletics. First up, Georgia State baseball has added Nico Buentello as an assistant coach. He joins the Panthers following a stint at Wallace Community College in Dothan, Alabama as hitting coach and recruiting coordinator. Head coach Brad Stromdahl had this to say. Nico is an outstanding individual for our organization as he brings with him a wealth of experience as a player, coach, and former recruiter. I am thrilled to watch our development on and off the field as he will guide multiple aspects within our program to new heights. Buentello played at Oklahoma and Grayson County College before finishing his collegiate career at Auburn, hitting 332 with 11 runs and 55 RBIs in his junior season before being selected in the 2016 MLB draft by the Detroit Tigers. Uh, over on Martin Luther King Boulevard, men's and women's soccer are getting up to speed with exhibition matches. Each team has officially christened the new soccer complex with a home game apiece. The women defeating Stetson 2-1 on Thursday, August 12th, and the men tying Clayton State in a 0-0 draw on Saturday. Women's soccer opens their season proper by hosting Mercer at the soccer complex Thursday at 7 p.m. match will be broadcast on ESPN+. Volleyball also opens their season at Chattanooga on Friday at 6 p.m. And you can see the full composite schedule of athletic events at georgiastatesports.com slash calendar. But that's going to do it for this week on the Thursday Night Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.